So the theory was one was unsellable, 12 would be sellable. And that's exactly what we did. And we went bigger and we sold it. And we did make the first ever feature-length Lego movie. We went to make 13 more Lego projects, Lego movies, Lego Star Wars, Lego theme park rides. But we also made a lot of other films under that series using the same strategy. So the idea is all your, your mind is always telling you and, and the world is always telling you, go smaller, be more conservative. I don't know. I think the opposite. I think if you're having trouble, go bigger. That's one small step for man. Liftoff. We, have a we choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Oh, you are so happy you turned into today's Super U Podcast. We've got a special treat for you. I sit down with a 40-minute conversation with Larry Kastanoff. That's right, Hollywood legend Larry Kastanoff. He's the executive producer of all things Mortal Kombat. He's also the executive producer of the box office smash film, one of my favorites, True Lies, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governator, and Jamie Lee Curtis. That's directed by, of course, James Cameron. He also joined up with James Cameron for Terminator 2 Judgment Day. In fact, he's made over 200 feature films, including Dirty Dancing, an Academy Award-winning Best Picture, Platoon. He's raised over a billion dollars in the film business. He's also in the music world. Larry's packaged and produced video projects with several of the world's biggest talents, including, that's right, Michael Jackson, The Rolling Stones, and Dick Clark. For Terminator 2, he produced MTV's top video of the year, You Could Be Mine, with Guns N' Roses, And most of you might know from Dirty Dancing that that song, Time of My Life, won a Grammy and also an Academy Award. Interesting enough, Larry went down a different path than most people in Hollywood. He holds an MBA from the Wharton School of Business and a BA from Cornell University. And he once had a boss tell him, you bring any of that Hollywood crap and you're fired. My hope is that you get as many insights and inspiration as I did from sitting down with Larry. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Larry Kasanoff. Well, thanks for joining the Super You Podcast, Larry. I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, I've been reading your book that's coming out, and it's A Touch of the Madness, How to Be More Innovative and Creative and Work in Life by Being a Bit crazy, um, which I love because a lot of people that listen to this show come from the tech world, which they collide, right? And you're, you've got a lot of tech in the book as well, which I find fascinating, which we'll uncover. But I love like Steve Jobs. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who see things differently. And so you certainly see things differently, uh, have brought to light so many beautiful films, uh, Mortal Kombat, the Lego series. And then you think about Dirty Dancing, one of my all-time favorites, uh, True Lies. So it's just incredible uh, to have you here. So thanks for joining the show. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be here. I'd like to kick things off because there's one thing that jumped out that's very provocative to me in the book. It says, so the next time you have trouble selling something, raising money, or getting buy-in at work, don't worry, go bigger. 
And then you have a great story about how you had an idea to make a lower budget animated movie based on a big brand and raise all this money independently. And then you went out and you couldn't sell it. So can you unpack not only about going bigger, but also a little bit of that story in the book about the film you had in your mind and then you couldn't sell it and then you decided to go, I'm just going bigger. Yeah, sure. So I've made live action movies my whole life. And then we started an animation studio several years ago. We wanted to make our first animated movie and we were having trouble selling one. So we, we had an idea um, to make a movie based on Lego. Lego had never had a, a, a live act, like a feature length movie based on it. So we went to the Lego people and we pitched them the idea and they said, and Lego wasn't doing that great then. And they said, what if it doesn't work? If it doesn't work, we won't, you know, it'll hurt us. And so we said, well, why don't we make a lower budget movie and then we'll release it direct to streaming and direct to video. So if it doesn't work, no, it won't get a lot of attention. If it does, we'll make more. Great, great, great. Couldn't sell it. So then I thought, if I can't sell one movie, I'll try to sell 12. And I went to financiers and I said, instead of doing this once, let's look at Lego as just the first one. And I'll find all these other big IP brands and we'll do a whole slate of them and we'll just make a ton of them. So the theory was one was unsellable. 12 would be sellable. And that's exactly what we did. And we went bigger and we sold it. And we did make the first ever feature length Lego movie. We went to make 13 more Lego projects, Lego movies, Lego Star Wars, Lego theme park rides. But we also made a lot of other films under that series using the same strategy. So the idea is all your, your mind is always telling you and, and the world is always telling you go smaller, be more conservative. I don't know. I think the opposite. I think if you're having trouble, go bigger. I love that. It's just so counterintuitive. Most of us would have just said, ah, well, no one likes the idea. And instead you go, hey, I'm going all in. I've, I've got the conviction to do it and I'm going to go go bigger. So that's that's fantastic. And then also along those sides of risk, you're just going all in. I was reading You Bet Your Job about an unknown writer and director around a serious topic, a Vietnam War movie, which I won't reveal. But can you walk us through this and, and what you learned from that whole experience? Sure. So I wanted to be a movie producer since I was a little kid and I got very lucky and out of grad school, I got a job with an independent new film studio that was growing up during the boom in home video. So in the late 80s, mid 80s, there was a boom in home video similar to the boom in streaming today, meaning there was no home video market. Then it started. All these stores open. They had room for 25,000 movies on their shelves. They didn't have 25,000 movies, so they needed them. So companies like ours sprang up to fuel them. Same thing. It's like a content gold rush. Same thing that's happening today. So I got a job as head of production and acquisitions for this new studio. And my job was to deliver 80 movies a year, eight zero, make them, wow. buy them, co-produce. We don't care how you get them, said my boss, but don't lose money. So I couldn't believe someone was giving me this kind of responsibility so young. And so I made, you know, I made action movies and rom-coms and horror movies, the kind of things you'd expect. And they did really well. And then we got a script for a movie called Platoon. And Platoon was not one of those movies. It was a very serious film about the Vietnam War and the effect it had on the kids who went to it. The tagline of the movie was, the first casualty of war is innocence. The people who are going to be in the movie have become famous, but they weren't famous then. And the director, Oliver Stone, we had done one prior movie with him, which was great, but it didn't make any money. So my boss, and I wanted to make it. I just had an instinct. And my boss said to me, you, you, you're crazy. This you can't, do, I get it a lot. You're crazy. You can't do this. This isn't what we do. And I fought for it. And he said, okay, well, if you really want to do it, you can. You're the head of production, of course, but there's always a but. You bet your job. 
if it doesn't work, you're fired. What do you want to do? And I had the best job in the world. And I thought, well, I didn't get into the film business to play it safe. So I greenlit Platoon. When I saw the first cut of the movie, I'm the only person in history to giggle their way through the first screening of Platoon. Not because it isn't fantastic, it is, but because it's so fantastic. I was thinking, oh my God, I'm not getting fired. And it was so good, it won Best Picture at the Academy Awards that year. A few months later, I ran into the director, Oliver Stone, at a bar in New York one night. And he bought me a drink and he said, you know, I always like you, kid. You have a touch of the madness. And I thought, a touch of the madness? Uh, that means like a little bit of crazy. Is he calling me crazy? Am I crazy? And then I calmed down and I thought, well, my boss had a touch of the madness by giving a 25-year-old kid with no prior experience an 80-picture film slate to run. Oliver had a touch of the madness by insisting on making a Vietnam movie the way no one else had. And I had a touch of the madness by betting my job on it. And so then it occurred to me that that's exactly what you need. That's what innovation demands. And, and that's what I have to do. And that has been my touchstone ever since. And then the question becomes, well, why is all this important? Why is innovation important? Why is creativity important? And I believe the current of the river of life will always pull you towards the middle. When you're sleeping, when you're driving, that voice in your head, your mother, you're this, whatever, you can't do it, don't do it. It'll always pull you towards the middle. And if as a company or an author or filmmaker or whatever, you're pulled towards the middle, other people who aren't will eclipse you because the audience doesn't want the middle. They want the new and the different. Best tool for swimming against that current is innovation. And the best way to be innovative is to have a touch of the madness and be a little bit crazy. So that has been my, the touchstone for my entire career and my entire life ever since. And that's how I got it. I love it. That, that's where the book title came from. It's incredible. Platoon, what a movie, uh, what a director. Uh, Amazing. I love that you're giggling through it. Uh, that's got to be just a great feeling. You know, okay, I've got my job. I'm saved. Now, Touch of the Madness, obviously you have it. Um, how do our listeners get it? Because it's not always easy to achieve, I wouldn't think. But how do they get it? And I know you unpacked this in the book. But how do we get a touch of that madness? How do we avoid being pulled towards the middle, towards just average, that gravitational pull or that stream, the current you mentioned? I think, that, you know, broadly speaking, there's two things you have to do. The first thing is you have to ask yourself, what, what is it I really want? What's that creative idea in the back of my mind that my parents will kill me for, that my spouse will leave me for, that whatever, that just sounds crazy. What do you, what do you really want? I mean, no kidding, no bullshit, no money, money's not important, nothing's important. What do you really want? You have to know the essence of your idea. And once you do, you have to let go and never, ever, ever give up. And you have to ask anybody anything all the time. And that sounds hard, but that's where you can start. So, for example, I often ask people when I speak, if you could call anyone in the world and ask them anything you wanted, one question, who would you call and what would you ask? And as your listeners now thinking, who would you call and what would you ask? Most people don't know how to answer that question. Mm. And the reason they don't is because it doesn't occur to them that they can call people, but they can and so another animated movie we, we made after, it was actually a reason, more recent one, we wanted to put Cher in it, you know, the iconic Cher, as a bobblehead, as a, you know, moving her head, bobbling around. And we wanted to use her likeness, too. So it was bobblehead Cher. So we called Cher's and her management, and we pitched them the idea. And long story short, they did the movie. She did the movie. She was great. And she was such a sport. When the movie came out, People Magazine said to Cher, you've never done an animated movie before. Why did you say yes to this one? And she said, I've never done an animated movie before because no one ever asked me until I did. Mm. So if Cher, the most famous person on the planet, is sitting there and no one ever called to ask her, can you imagine who in your life 
you're not calling because you think, oh, they, they get this call all the time. I can't do it. And no, no one's ever asked them. So the answer to your question, how do you get it? Start. Start small. Call somebody today who you've always wanted to call. It doesn't have to be Cher, but it could be your mother-in-law. It could be anybody and ask them a question you've always wanted to ask them. Just try it once. It doesn't matter who it is. And the more you do it, it's like exercising a muscle, the more you will do it and you go on and on and on. And that's what you have to do. You have to believe in your idea with, with a zeal. A touch of the madness doesn't just mean I have a crazy idea. It means I will pursue it in an unstoppable, energetic, all or nothing way. No, I love it. And then how do you decide? Because thinking back to the Lego story as well, that you go, let's go bigger, let's go 12. Sometimes, especially in innovation and film, that at what point do you realize, do I say I'm sticking with it, I'm grinding this out, and then it turns out glorious, that happens a lot. Other times you need to know, okay, that's not the idea. Is there, it's a tough question to answer, but how do you decide when, okay, I've gone down this enough, this isn't the thing, I've got to pivot and go somewhere else? Yeah, how do you know when to fold them? You know, on, on, <laughs> on podcasts like this, we always talk about the, the, the great ones, and it, it's like being a football quarterback and only talking about the winning game. So there's lots of times you don't win. There's lots of people who I ask questions to who say no to me. There's lots of movies that never get made or they get made and don't work. But I, I think you have to play it like a game. I, I think you have to think about it like, okay, that's this week's game. Let's say you're a football quarterback. And now, now it's next week's game, and last week's game is gone. You always have to come up with another one. I mean, I think in what I do and what anybody who's creative or makes products or works for the audience does, there's always another idea. You have to just keep looking forward. People always say to me, the number one question I get is, what's the favorite movie you've made? And I always say my next one. Mm -hmm. I, I think you have to just, anyway, sometimes I'm probably not that great at letting go. I probably hang on a little longer because very tenacious. So sometimes I probably should have let go before I did. But eventually you have to ask yourself, like, what are you really trying to do? So for example, I, I've been in situations where I'm holding, hanging on to a movie that we developed maybe too long. And my sort of mentor and business partner will say to me, well, are we in the business of making that movie or of making great movies? And the answer is great movies. And so maybe there's another great movie, but there's always another one. There's always another actor. There's always another script. There's always another product. There's always another podcast. You just move on. And the next one, the next game has nothing to do with the last game. You get out on the field and you play again. Play it like a game. Play like a game. It's good. I love it. Play like a game, which is, so you have, cap in in the book which is great create find the essence ask anybody anywhere for anything you want and then play it all like a game that helps unlock the madness for the listeners now you knew from an early age on that you wanted to be in film producing films which is a gift like you knew early on now a lot of our listeners 18 to 80 they're still struggling with you know what's my passion what do i need to do um is there anything the advice you have to help unlock that anything to unlock that passion I think there's two things. As I said, I think most people know they're just afraid to tell themselves. And you can go, you know, there's a, I, I, I made a documentary and was very friendly with a Vietnamese Buddhist monk named Thich Nhat Hanh. And his favorite expression was be still and know. So in other words, if you still your mind, think about a mountaintop lake in Switzerland. If it's still, it will reflect the clouds and the mountaintops mm -hmm. perfectly. If it's all frenetic and choppy, it won't. So if you still your mind and then ask yourself, what do I want? I think most people know. They're just afraid. But if you don't know, take a shot. So what? So let's say you say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be a painter. So, yep. so that doesn't work out. So you had an adventure. So everything doesn't work. So I think you do know, but if you don't know, just pick something. Just take a shot. 
I like that. Take a shot because it answers the the secondary question. Pretty pretty much answers it was. So a known truth, the opposite of a known truth is often also true. So some people would say, follow your passion, whereas there's other people that might argue like a Scott Galloway. No, just go and find something you're good at, and then you'll become passionate around that. So I love take a shot because that helps you discover. It sort of answers that question. But when you think about those wrestles, I got to pay the bills, I got to do all this. What's your approach to that for someone, let's say, that's maybe 24? So you ask yourself three questions. What do I love? What am I good at? And what can I sell myself as? Mm. So, and, and with those three intersect, that's your sweet spot. So I, I might love basketball, but you know, I'm never gonna be a pro basketball player. So I can't sell myself at that. Mm. So, so, so you gotta ask yourself those questions. I mean, sometimes people come to us a lot and they say, you know, I wanna be in a Mortal Kombat movie or a fight movie. I'm like, great, do you, do you take martial arts? Are you athletic? Do you, well, no, and I'm like, well, then, <laughs> Probably that's that's not really for you. So you have to be honest with yourself. But what am I good at? What do I love? And what can I sell myself as? And that's your sweet spot. And I would say to somebody though, especially who's 24, you know, I, I wrote the book. I don't know if you find this in your in your travels, but I find now that people are very afraid to to take an unbridled creative chance more than I've ever seen before. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. They are. And what I try and hopefully can encourage people to do is to just not be afraid. Just don't be afraid. I mean, I have come up with some of the worst ideas ever. So what? I mean, I, I there's a lot. I mean, take the shot. So they'll say no, then take another one, take another one, take another one. But if you're not afraid to be your unbridled creative self, you will come up with a great idea. And those are the ones that work. Those are the ones that work. And I love your approach because it's always when they say is if you never ask, the answer is always no. Yep. And so I'd love to just call someone. and You miss all the shots you didn't take. There you go. And then the famous song from Dirty Dancing, Time of Your Life, almost wasn't. You know, can you tell us that story and, and what you learned from it? That's a great example of, of when you have your idea, never let go. Don't let that current take it away from you. So Dirty Dancing, we got a hold of it, was a movie that another studio had tried to make and then given up on it and put it in the shelf and we bought it from them. So it already had been tried and failed once. As, a, as an idea. And the movie was not in good shape. And and our company managed to lure two people, Jimmy Einer, who's still my partner, who's a music producing legend, and Michael Lloyd, also a music producing legend, to come in and manage the movie. And once that happened, the whole thing turned. And and the one of the first things they did was the song Time of My Life, which as originally recorded, is not the song you hear. It was a high falsetto disco song. And Jimmy and Michael said, no, no, no. And they redid it as a lower, slower, more ballady song. They got um, a great singer to do it, who did it to them as a favor, Bill Medley from the Righteous Brothers. And then they made the new song and they sent it out to everyone in the movie, the, the talent's managers, the record company and so forth. And everyone came back and said, no, 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 we don't like it. Can you change this? Can you change that? You're going to make these changes. And they got a whole list of changes. Please do these changes. And, and Jimmy and Michael said, OK, no problem. We'll do them. No problem. We'll get back to you soon. Three weeks later, they sent out version two and they said, uh, you know, OK, here's version two. And we also sent this to some radio stations. In those days, radio stations helped you promote uh, an album or music. And so they got notes back from everyone saying, oh, my goodness, thanks so much. We love version two. You did a great job. We really appreciate it. That's so open minded of you. This is great. Thanks for doing all the work. So the question is, what's the genius musical change Jimmy and Michael made between version one in version two? And the answer is nothing. They didn't change a thing. 
They just changed the label that said version two. And in fact, they doubled down because when everyone didn't like version one, <laughs> they sent it to radio stations. Meaning if the radio stations didn't like it because they were public, it, it would have been a disaster. But they knew what they had. They didn't give up. As soon as everyone else got the note that, oh, radio stations like it, they said, of course, we love it. And unless, you know, this is the first time we ever told the stories in this book. So unless people are reading the book or listening to the story, they still don't know. But that song that year won the Grammy for best song and it won the Academy Award for best song. And it was all because Jimmy and Michael did not listen and never let go of their idea, which is another thing. When you have your idea, you got to hang on. People are going to tell you you're crazy. It doesn't work. It's not. You hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't listen. Don't listen. I love it. You got you to go with your conviction. That's how you, that's how the crazy ones think, which is fantastic. Of course, they're going to call you crazy. I say pioneers get pushback. It's a signal you're actually pioneering. Everyone tells you to listen more, to, you know, listen to people. I think you should listen less because, <laughs> you know, you're not going to do anything unusual by listening to everybody. That's so true. And then speaking of listening, uh, for our listeners out there, you've got a beautiful ocean behind you. So waves make a amazing sound. Um, this is kind of a strange question, but what's your favorite sound in life that you hear? Like, what's your favorite sound in life? Waves crashing outside. <laughs> yeah. I love that sound. I can listen That's... to it all day long. Calms me down in a second. I, I hear it every night as I fall asleep. I just love that sound. So good. And then as a kid, what were some of the films that inspired you when you were growing up? So the film that inspired me to want to be a movie producer was a James Bond movie. My dad took me to a James Bond movie and I left as a really little kid saying, I want to be James Bond. And plus, what does it mean that guy who said his name was Cubby Broccoli, Cubby Broccoli producer, Cubby Broccoli presents. What does that guy do? And my father explained what a producer was. That was it. I was sold. That was the one. And then I watched was everything all the time, forever. I still do. I watch a movie every day. And then what's your favorite memory from your career? You know, I, I have a million. That's a great question. But when when we did the first Mortal Kombat movie, uh, I, I really, once again, gambled my career because no one had ever, I'd left a huge job to do it. No one had ever made a successful movie from a video game. And we got a crew of people who just were all so together focused on the notion that we're going to make this work. I don't care if no one's done it before. So it was a great group. And then we took the whole crew to shoot on an island, a gorgeous island called Kirby in southern Thailand. And so working with that great group on something no one had ever done before on a gorgeous island in southern Thailand, where we had to take a little teak fisherman's longboat home to our the places we were staying. There's the only way to get there. And I remember jumping out of that little teak longboat one day after a day of shooting and thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great to go to work this way? Then I thought, hey, I am going to work this way. That's what I'm doing here. Yep. And so that's great 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 memory because it was ocean waves great crew great people doing something crazy no one had ever done before and it all worked out spectacularly well so good Krabby island that's where i went on my honeymoon we we, we were over there so really? yeah yeah it's great it's beautiful Isn't it great yeah that's fantastic and that's why i knew i married the right person because she just did carry on luggage because we had to carry it over our head in the water so it came in very handy no pun intended that, that that's all we had for uh -huh. luggage like you get off the boat here i'm like <laughs> I don't yeah, wasn't that great to get to now? I, it's, I loved it. I love it there. <laughs> I love this. The, your writing style is so great because it says in here, let your idea drive your technology, not the other way around. See the Eiffel Tower in your mind, then figure out how to build it versus seeing lots of metal joints and figuring out an idea from them. So I love, I love that. For our listeners who 
everyone needs to be a little creative in your job, no matter what you do in life and also your family. It's about being creative. Walk us through that. Like, you know, let your idea drive the technology, not the other way around. So uh, several years ago, we uh, live action movies and animated movies. And the third company we started was Theme Park Rides, because I like the nexus of technology and entertainment and no, no place is more evident than the Theme Park Rides. So, so the first idea we had was to do a Star Trek project. And the bad guys in Star Trek are called the Borg. And we had an idea to, in stereoscopic 3D in a theme park ride, take the audience walking, moving through a Borg cube. Now, the only problem was, at that time, there had never been a moving stereoscopic 3D shot. 3D prior to that had always been stationary. The camera had not been invented that could move and do that because of the way the focal length works. Mm -hmm. So we thought it'd be a great idea. We pitched Paramount. We got the gig. We got it. We were ready to go, except it didn't exist yet. So then well, we had an inkling we could make the technology work. We teamed up with another camera company. We invented a new camera. We did the shot and it worked great. And it played for years and years and years. And it helped start the craze of, of 3D movies. A few months later, uh, a network came to us, a prominent uh, studio. And they said, we're starting a 3D TV network. Can you make us content? I said, sure. What do you want? They said, we don't know. I said, you know, my first thing is create your idea. I said, okay, well, who's your audience? They said, we don't know. I said, why are you doing this? They said, well, it's a new technology. Everyone's doing it. They were gone in six months. So it wasn't that we're geniuses and they're not. It's just that we simply use the technology to, to, to implement an idea we have. That's how you should use technology. If you jump on the technology bandwagon because everyone's doing it, you're probably going to fail. If you think, here's what I want to do. And what's the best way to do it? And it happened whether it's chat GPT or a paperclip, you just use what's best, it will usually work out. But you do have to gamble. As I said, we didn't have the camera when we started, when we sold the project. Yeah, it's not called uh, reward, reward. It's risk, reward, right? You got to gamble. So I love that. It's not reward, reward. It's it's a risk, reward. That's so I love that you got you to gotta gamble and, and put it out there. You got to take the shot. You got to take the shot. You got to take the shot. I love that. I love the thought process. I've never heard that before where if you call anyone right now, who would you call and what would you ask for? I love that. But again, you know, look at you. you give me who you are. You call anyone in the world and they take your call. But it's just we often don't think about doing it. And, you know, I was just in Israel doing a, a bunch of things for, for movies and there were some people I wanted to be ambassadors. And I just called everybody and virtually everyone we call, I met. Yeah, I love that. And actually, it was funny because I was coming off a of vacation. During that vacation, your mind kind of frees the, the, the sound of the waves. We're down Turks and Caicos. And I go, I got to get back to doing something that makes me uncomfortable each and every day. I got to call someone where it's uncomfortable for me to call them. Uh, and so I I'd, I'd realized that I had slipped into that gravitational pull, that current back to the middle. So it's, this is really helpful for me. I know it's super helpful for the listeners. As you think about any advice you've been given or want to give, or maybe it's a quote, or maybe it's a, a podcast for our listeners out there. What what should they do? Like advice you've been given over time, or it might be a, a you go down and, and do this. Like this is your next step. You know, the simplest and best advice to, for all of this and to get started and to be your unbridled creative self is: do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Or if you're afraid, do it anyway. You just, that's it. You have to get over that fear. You know, we see it so often in what we do with, with aspiring actors because we can spot talent in 30 seconds, but talent is half the battle. You then have to, you know, come in and audition. You, you got to get in, in other words, to use another sports analogy, you got to get on the field. And that can be uncomfortable and that can be whatever. You just don't be afraid. 
And that's the best thing to start because what's going to happen if you are? So I'll tell you a really, 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 really quick story about this. Um, I have a friend who's a model. It's a crazy wild model. And a few years ago, she wound up in the hospital with a very serious injury to her hand. And I had been away. It was during COVID. When I came back, I realized no one had gone to visit her because they were scared of going to the hospital. So she was on her sixth day. And I called and I said, what do you need? And she said, well, she gave me a list. Can you get this from home and this from the store? And and so I, I got all these things. And because we're good friends and because she's, I was trying to cheer up, I stopped by Victoria's Secret and I bought some lingerie just so I could say in the hospital, oh, and of course you need lingerie. You know, she's a model. I, ha, 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 it was funny. So we did that. I brought her the stuff. And then it was towards the end of visiting hours. And I said, can I do anything else? And she said, yeah. In my other life, I'm a photographer. And she said, let's do a photo shoot. I didn't even have a camera. I had an iPhone. I said, what? She goes, well, you brought lingerie. Mind you, she had a tube through her hand feeding her um, um, antibiotics 24-7. It was unbelievable. And, and so we did. We did this fun photo shoot with laundry in the hospital. And to tell you the truth, it was one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen that after six days in a hospital alone because of COVID, she wanted to play. I thought it was great. She posted the picture. She got more likes on it than any picture she had. But a lot of people in her life, the current of the river, her managers said, no, 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 you can't do that. It's COVID. And, and they made her take the picture down. And she was miserable for a few months because it just wasn't her. And one day she woke up and she said, you know, this isn't me. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And she reposted the picture. Within a couple of months, she had new managers, great jobs, and got engaged. And, and it, it wasn't magic. It was just because she said, I'm going to do what's true to myself and I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And reposting that picture was just the, the linchpin that kind of coalesced all that for her, but it changed her life. So don't be afraid. That crazy picture, that crazy idea, that crazy thing, someone out here is sitting and they want to call you. Call them. What are you going to do? You're a nice guy. So, so what if you say no? You know, I, I keep calling the Pope, the Pope Pope, trying to get him to do something. I mean, I've got this series of lovely past letters, but no, it's just the beginning. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love it. Don't be afraid. I love what you said earlier too. Find out what you love, find out what you're good at, and can you sell it? Those those, those three things, love, good, sell. Uh, so great. So great. This is from your book, which I love. I'm now at a point, if people tell me an idea I have for a movie or theme park ride is just great and slam dunk, I get a bit nervous. On the other hand, if they tell me I'm crazy and it'll never work, the warm glow of giving into a touch of the madness envelops me like early morning mist on the beach. And I set off to make it. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. So, so good. So good. It's Larry Kastanoff, A Touch of the Madness, How to Be More Innovative and Creative in Work and Life by Being a Bit Crazy. So thanks for letting our crazy listeners get some advice from you, Larry. I mean, it's unbelievable, your career. So it's just such an honor for me to be with you today. And, and I know our listeners are going to get so much out of this. So thank you so much. Thanks, Eric. I really enjoyed it. Well, I have pages and pages of notes, so I got a ton out of this conversation. I know you did as well. One thing that really stuck with me, this is a question I never heard before. Who would you call right now? What do you ask for? So go out there this week, just call someone. I don't care who it is. It might be Taylor Swift. You can ask for backstage passes, whatever it might be. It might be just calling your old boss to ask for something, or it might be an old school teacher. Just put yourself out there. Take the shot. If you never ask, the answer is always no. 
I encourage everyone to check out Larry's book because, I mean, there's so many insights. I'm reading a pre-copy. I was given an advanced copy. But go check it out. Go get it for yourself. A Touch of the Madness, How to Be More Innovative and Creative and Work in Life by Being a Bit Crazy. We didn't even get to go over one thing that I find fascinating that he goes over in the book is that he plans his Christmas vacations just three days before Christmas Day. That's right. That would give me heart palpitations, cause me to sweat, cause me some stress. But he explains why he plans his Christmas vacations just three days in advance, if you can call that planning at all. But thanks for tuning in today's Super You Podcast, all brought to you by the great folks at Amazon. That's right. Go ahead and check out Amazon Prime. If you're not one of Amazon Prime members, you're one of the few. Every time I run into everyone has Amazon Prime because it delivers it sometimes within hours and so easy to return. So again, Amazon Prime. And thank you to our producers here at the show that make it all possible at Equal Man Studios. We've got Jake Brin, Kelsey Gomez, and of course, Maritza Gutierrez. Thank you for tuning in. And I would like to remind you that we're all superheroes. We just need the courage to wear the cape. Or based on our interview we just had, that courage just to ask. Ask anyone, anywhere, anything. For anything you want. And think about life as a game. Play it like a game. So I hope you're playing it like a game this week and really going for it. Taking that shot, as Larry talked about, go ahead and take that shot. And until next time, remember, this is Equal Man reminding all of us, it's not what we take from the world, it is what we leave behind. Seven. Six. Five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 you.